Uh, I'm sure that uh, Pastor Josh would agree that it is an honor and a privilege to serve God's people in this capacity. Um, I know for me, especially, uh, you know, this, is, this month is one year here, and it has not been the year that I had anticipated. <laughs> I'm sure most of you can agree, can agree with that or relate to that for sure. Uh, this year has been all over the place. But praise God that we have His Word. Praise God that He is still on the throne. So when the world is in utter chaos, we can have a stillness and an anchor for our soul in Christ Jesus. Amen? So, a couple of things I want to point out to you as we begin this morning. One is, good morning. We're so glad that you've joined us. If this is your first time that you're with us, you should have got a worship guide when you came in. I'd love for you to take that perforated strip on the inside, plug some of your information in there, and it gives us a chance to connect with you. We want to know who you are, what your story is, and how you can be part of what's going on here at our community and our church. Because the end point for us and for all Christians is that we glorify God in what we do with our lives. Now, a couple of things that she mentioned in announcements that I want to hit on a little bit more because it does actually tie in. I love how God works things the way that he does, and you don't even see it, and you go, man, I have a good, I have a good idea, and God is like, I've got a better one. I've got a better plan in a future. So last month, late last month, we went ahead and started having conversations about this trunk or treat event, right? And I hope that all of you are coming. I really do. Um, I think that it's going to be incredible. It's going to be a blessing. We're going to be able to be a light, a city on a hill. We are, in fact, on a hill. What a great tie-in that is to the community around us. And here's what I'd like you to do, is if you haven't already signed up, we need all hands on deck because the bigger picture is not that we have people come to our church so we can give them candy and have a good time and maybe give them some semblance of normalcy in the COVID era. It is ultimately to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those people. We have nothing else to give as believers outside of that, and that matters for eternity. So when these people, when you come, and we need to be reminded of the gospel daily too as believers, all the time, because we have a tendency to go astray and forget it, is this. The Trunk or Treat event is designed to remind you of the great high calling that we have as believers to invite people, to share the gospel with people, to get them into the community of God. There will be people that will show up to this event for our church that have never walked through the doors of our church, but they're going to come because we're providing an opportunity to bless them. It's safe, it's fun, and we're going to have a good time. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. But let us never forget the goal, and the goal is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's what I mean by God's providence, his greater idea than our good idea. It just so happens the way that this lines up is, and I love it because now there's no excuse for any of us, and I'm one of them, right? So Saturday night when we do the trunk or treat from 5 to 7, we're doing a single service Sunday. You saw that, right? At 1045, outside on the lawn. Those are beautiful. The weather, hey, it's fall, y'all. It's actually cool today. Can you believe it? It might be 100 that Sunday, but who knows? It's Louisiana. I love it, but it's hot. Um, But you have this really cool thing that happens, and it's frustrating in the spring, but it is a gift of God in the fall. You get to fall back, which means you get an extra hour of sleep, y'all. Have you thought about that? So you come from five to seven, then you go do whatever you want after that, and then you get to sleep in an extra hour. And for those of you that serve, that have to be here at 5 a.m. or some crazy early time to make sure that things go well in this church and people are blessed and we do things with excellence, 
you get an extra hour of sleep. You get to bring your lawn chair and hang out on the lawn and listen to what is going to be, no doubt, a phenomenal message from Pastor Josh. So I invite you to do that. Check that out. If I haven't pressured you enough, talk to me after. So, but we've got a lot of people already signed up in all seriousness, so I really hope that you participate in that process with us. It's going to be great, and God is going to be glorified. He will be glorified in everything that we do. So the message this morning, now we can get down to a brass tacks, right? So we're still in Elephant Room 2 which has been an incredible series to, to sit under and listen to. Pastor Josh has handled some very, very difficult subjects with a type of grace and humility that has blessed me. I know it has blessed you. And we had a conversation about who was going to preach what. And no, we don't roll or fight over who's going to preach what topic. He is the lead pastor, right? So I just, hey, give me what you got, man. And he goes, I know you're going to like this one. And I said, Yes, sir, I am, because I've been, man, this thing's been grinding away at me for years. So I get to preach this morning on the prosperity gospel. Now, if I, if I smile, part of that is I'm so amped up about it because it's such a, a, a thing that's permeated all kinds of churches and caused so much strife and confusion and led people down the wrong road. So I go from smiling because I'm amped up to, I'm very frustrated. There's a kind of righteous indignation that takes place when people are led astray by this nonsense that they call prosperity gospel little g. So I hope when you walk out of here today that you understand the danger of it and that you have a greater appreciation for the gospel as revealed in sacred scripture, which is the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, New City Catechism, week 43. The question is, what are the sacraments or ordinances? Ordinances for us, of course, right? The answer is the church. The sacraments or ordinances given by God and instituted by Christ. Namely, baptism and the Lord's Supper are the visible signs and seals that were bound together as a community of faith by His death and resurrection. By our use of them, the Holy Spirit more fully declares the seals and promises of the gospel to us. Amen. Amen. So before we get into this, let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. I pray that it would continue to change and transform our hearts, make us more like your son Jesus. Give us the power to speak the truth in love to those that might have been impacted by such things as the prosperity gospel. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. If you have your Bible this morning or a Bible app, I invite you to go to Galatians chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 6 through 10. And this is how it reads. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of a man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Isn't that timely? You know, you come up in churches and you hear all these things, and I tell you, one of the things that you should do is enter into some trepidation when you have to handle the Word of God. You know, I think it was Charles Spurgeon that said, if you can do anything else, do it rather than become a pastor. 
right? So you'll have pastor appreciation stuff up there, and it's great. But it's waiting. It's waiting. Because if you don't get the gospel right, you confuse people, and then you become responsible for teaching them something that's not true. And nobody needs to carry that weight. So we better get it right. The gospel is so important that Scripture explicitly says here, let somebody that teaches something other than that be accursed. Be cursed and anathema. Do not teach, even if an angel of heaven came, and we won't dive into it today because we're not doing a whole lot of it apologetic, right? But there are faith groups, cult groups, that teach things that came from another angel. They say things like that. It is so vitally important that you are so familiar with the real true gospel as revealed in Scripture so that you notice the counterfeit, and the counterfeit has run amok throughout the entire world. 2 Timothy 4.3 says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. So here's the thing. Prosperity gospel, what is it? Also known, many of you will know it by the health and wealth gospel. It also has a relationship with what they call the word of faith gospel. Do you? And it's okay. If that's you, we'll talk through it. And I hope that the, 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 the Holy Spirit works through you through his word this morning to help you realize that there's a challenge with that. But maybe you or you know somebody that walks around and maybe they're sick or something's wrong with them. And they're like, don't you speak that over me. You ever met those people? I have. I have. I, I used to go to one of them churches, y'all. Be like, don't you speak that. I'm like, but you're sick. I mean, did we just not acknowledge that? What, what do we do here? No, no, no. You don't, you don't speak that over my life. God's going to heal me. And I'm going, well, how can I pray for you if I can't talk about it? It's this vicious circle where you can't talk about it. And the idea is that your words have power, that you have somehow, being made in the image of God, have the ability to speak things into existence like God can. And that is flat out not true. You cannot do that. You know, the prosperity gospel got its root, really got a lot of its momentum in the 1980s. Anybody watch TBN? Some of y'all are going to get upset with me. Most of you won't. I think I'm safe. TBN is, is one of kind of the launch pads for this idea of prosperity gospel nonsense. That men and women would get on TV and they'd be like, you just sow a seed for your destiny and you'll be all right. You might be broke. You might be impoverished. You might be living in a shack. And they'll be like, the reason you live there is because you don't have enough faith. You ain't sent enough money. This is the kind of nonsense that these churches teach, and people buy into it all the time. They buy into it all the time. This is the chief export of the Christian church in the United States to everywhere else in the world. There are stories that I have heard, you guys, that churches in Africa are on their hands and knees. These pastors have these people on their hands and knees eating grass like cows, saying, you just need to do that before the holy man, and maybe your kid won't die, you won't lose your cattle, your finances will get better. That cancer diagnosis will go away. That's wicked. That is so profoundly wicked. You see, we've allowed the American dream to infect our understanding of the gospel. The gospel is not here for you to get healthy and wealthy. It is so that you will know the Lord Jesus Christ and be made right before a holy God and spend eternity in heaven with him. There's a statement made by the uh, president of the SBC. He says this, J.D. Greer. He says, the goal of a lecture is that you leave with information. The goal of a motivational speech is that you leave with action steps. But the goal of teaching the Bible is that you leave worshiping. How many messages have we heard 
in modern America that are mostly oriented around this idea that, hey, if you do this, this, and this, your life will get better. That's just not true. There are things that you should do to be responsible, like be a good steward of your finances. But I can tell you what, if you're going to say, well, I'm going to send to this ministry I saw on TBN, and God is going to bless me three, four, five, six, sevenfold like this nonsense preacher is telling me on TV, that's not how this works. You're not promised that in this life, folks. I'm not saying that if you drive a nice car or you got a, a large bank account, that there's something wrong with that. The problem is that the pursuit of it that these people teach. You pursue those things, otherwise you're just not a good Christian. You just don't have favor. You're just not blessed. You know what's wild to me is I see these folks like my personal favorite, Joel Osteen. He holds his Bible up and he's like, I have what it says I have and I am what it says I am. And I said, man, Bible says you're a sinner. Wretched man am I. <laughs> Why aren't you telling people that, Joel? And it's it, it, it's it's. Funny and frustrating all at the same time. There's so much tension when I see it. I'm like, man, if you don't know that, you, you lost in the sauce, man. You ain't making it nowhere. Man. So my first point this morning, man, is the prosperity gospel worships creation rather than the creator. Wants the things that they think God will give them rather than God himself. We have in such a way we have reduced the gloriousness and the majesty of our understanding of what the gospel is that we will substitute the secondary effects sometimes that God can give. We would much rather be like, God, I need you to heal me. I need my bank account to look better. So guess what? I'm going to show up on Sunday so that you take care of me because you're a genie in a bottle. We say, no. Sometimes the answer is no. And you don't need to make, you need to make sure that when things like this in life happen, let me encourage you, pause and be like, wait a minute. Don't I already have the greatest gift ever in this life as a believer? The Lord Jesus came and died for me. I was a wretched sinner, could not do it for myself. And God sent his son to put on his own creation to go to the cross and die for me, raised to life, and now I, a wretched man, stand justified before a holy God. And I get to enter into that space forever. Well, there will be no pain, no suffering, no tears. Don't diminish the value of what the gospel really is. Don't let it take the place of the created things. You know, you have Kenneth Copeland, Joel Osteen, Joyce Meyer, Benny Hinn, Bill Johnson. See, Romans 1, 24, 25 says this. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Have you ever worked that out in your mind? Like, man, you know, this is a nice car that I got. You know, I think you got it and realize, man, I love this car more than I love my God. The one that speaks and things are created. We want the creature comforts most of the times more than we want the God of the Bible. And that's a challenge for us, and it's particularly acute in the United States. When every one of us in this room, even if you don't think you are, are incredibly wealthy in comparison to anybody else in the world. We're the one, of, one of the most wealthiest nations in the world. And yet, we have a crisis of suicide. We have a crisis of depression. Why? Because things will not give you that satisfaction, that longing in your soul. You are made to have a relationship 
with a holy God. And Christ provides a way. And yet we want the stuff rather than the giver. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or nor forsake you. Be content with what you have. Do you remember what Jesus was walking about? And he's like, hey, you can follow me, but I ain't got nowhere to lay my head. And the people that followed him realized in that moment, wait a minute, he's all I need. He is all I need. If you didn't have anything else, this is, I do a heart check personally, so I say, if I had nothing else, heaven forbid something would happen to my, my wife and my kids, and I had nothing else in this life, is Jesus enough for me? We've got to get our hearts in a place where that's a very firm yes. God, you are enough. You are enough for me. Because the sacrifice and the cost, excuse me, and the cost and what Christ did on the cross is tremendous. It is huge. It is greater than we could ever imagine. So we need to continually remind ourselves as believers, what is the gospel? You say, oh, we only share the gospel with people who are non-Christian. No, we've got to preach that to ourselves daily. Because we have a tendency to wander off like lost sheep. And Jesus has got to be dragging us back and be like, oh, not that way. Remember what I've done. You know, I, I, I'm grateful for it. I need it sometimes. He's got to get that old shepherd's crook sometimes and break my legs. Make sure I don't go nowhere. Because we're all prone to it. It's our very nature. John Piper said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Praise God for that. That when we are satisfied in the one who speaks the stars, knows them by name, knows the number of hairs on your head, that we are satisfied with that, God is glorified as a result. When we do things like the trunk or treat, and people come, and you hand them one of those boo cards, and they show up on Sunday and say, I've never heard the gospel before, God is glorified in that. Because you didn't just change their moment in the season of COVID, their life is changed forever. And eternity is a hard thing for us to grasp. But that's so much better than a momentary event. We come together and we have fun. The point is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's always the gospel. Isaiah 2, 2.8 says, Their land is filled with idols. They bow down to the works of their hands, to what their fingers have made. I have seen, and I'm sure you have too, I have seen some of these prosperity preachers, as they call themselves, go on TV and be like, hey, I need a private jet because I can't be around the rest of the people because there's demons about. I said, that is absolutely insane. Or, hey, do you think, you know, being interviewed, do you think that, that Jesus, if he was walking the earth today, that he would be driving a Mercedes? And the preacher goes, yeah, really? Because last I checked in Scripture, he was homeless. Anybody want to jump on that one? No. That's what draws people. They go, hey, man, if you come to Jesus, you'll drive a cool ride, you'll have a big house, you'll have jets that you own, you'll have your own airport. And they go, well, I'll do Jesus. That sounds great. Instead of going, man, you are wretched, sinner, and rebellious against a holy God. And guess what? You can't do anything about it. And they go, I don't want to hear that. And you say, but you know, somebody did do something about it, and his name is Jesus Christ. That's the difference. That is the difference. My second point this morning. 
The prosperity gospel robs God of the glory in suffering. There's another one. There's another spin that they put on. If you come to God, you'll be healed. Cancer will go away. These guys trip me out. You know, sometimes uh, the, the Lord reminds me frequently, and I'm guilty of this as well, is that we are about as smart as sheep. We really are. We'll buy this stuff. Somebody come in and be like, hey, man, you know, Tim, I think your leg's a little shorter than the other. Can I, can I do that? Can I, can I stretch your leg? And I'm going, that's how we're going to represent God? That one of your legs is shorter than the other? Are you kidding me? Jesus was going in and saying, come out, Lazarus. Say, come out. And this is the type of stuff we reduce the God of the Bible to these silly parlor tricks. And we don't give him the gospel. We say, oh, that's great. Now my, my legs are the same length. Or so you say, what are you going to do for my soul? And most people, when that happens, they don't care. They don't care. They just don't want to suffer. And yet, the scriptures are very clear. For it has been granted to you that for your sake, you should not only believe, but suffer. Philippians 1.29. You say, what do you mean? Is suffering coming? Yeah, it is. All of us in this room, if you're a believer, you will suffer at one point in your life. We are called to be a people of suffering. We don't like talking about it because it doesn't fill pews, right? But it's true. We all will suffer. We all have suffered. We will suffer for his name's sake. Look at the world around you now. Watch what's happening. Trying to keep churches closed because of COVID. But yet you can still go to an abortion clinic. You can still go to a grocery store, but you can't come worship your God. Be mindful, church, because suffering is part of our story. Our Savior suffered, and so will we. We will carry our cross and suffer along with Christ because we were called to that, and then we will enter into an eternity that has no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. It's so much sweeter than that. This life is so short. But yet these pastors will get up there and they'll say, oh, no, you won't suffer. I'm reminded of a, uh, a story that came out a few months back. It, was, it, came out of, it came out of Bethel Church, and one of their staff members had lost their little girl. And here's the church's response. Instead of coming alongside and saying, hey, I want to mourn with you. I want to love you. I want you to know that God is still good. I know you're heartbroken. I'm heartbroken with you. If you're doing that even in tears, they say, oh, no, we're going to resurrect her. You want to get me angry? That stuff makes me angry. It breaks my heart. Because you've given them this false idea that you're just going to walk in there and say, little girl, rise, and she didn't. She did not. And now these people don't even know who the God of Scripture is because they think that that God is supposed to do things on command like that. Does God still heal? Yes. Does God still do miracles? Yes, but the pursuit should be, how can I enter in with you in this moment and mourn with you? Because you lost her. And God can do whatever he wants, but my first point to you should not be, hey, let's circle around her and let's pray. Let's put her in a room for two weeks and pray that she comes back to life. Because what do you do when the answer is no? Is God still good? Because your idea of a good God is predicated on this thing that says, hey, she's got, he's got to bring my girl back. He's got to bring my daughter back. Look, I haven't lost a child, praise God. I know what it's like to lose a sister. Triplet sisters, when she was four, she passed away, had cerebral palsy and Dandy Walker syndrome. You think that if I was put in a position or you were put in a position like that, that you'd be like, somebody said, hey, we're going to pray for resurrection. She's going to come back. We're going to do this thing. How easy would that be for us to slide into that? Because that's what we desperately want above all things. 
is to have that loved one back. Ain't no coming back, folks. There's not. So what do we do? What do we do as a church? We share the gospel. That despite challenges and suffering that are guaranteed to come our way, that God is still good, that God still loves us, and that there is a hope and glory forever with him. My, father, my uh, grandfather, Bill Russell, uh, we, we've known, in matter of fact, in the last couple of years, we've had uh, several family members pass, and we've had several diagnoses of cancer. And my grandfather, Bill Russell, he's in his 90s, so he's lived a good life. And uh, he got diagnosed, and he goes, he comes back uh, one morning, and every morning he does the same thing before he was diagnosed and after he was diagnosed. Cracked open his Bible. He sits at that kitchen table with some coffee, and he reads. And he goes, man, God's good. God's good. Whether I, I don't have cancer, whether I have cancer, whether it's healed, whether it's not, you know, he had that guy, I can't ever pronounce his name, uh, uh, Nabil Qureshi, you know, he was 34 years old, loved the Lord, pursued the Lord, taught the gospel to people, and he died, 34, cancer. Is God still good? Yes, yes. Up until the very end of that man's life, he still wanted people to know the true gospel, that the gospel saves people, that Christ came to save sinners, not Christ came to make you feel better. But that's hard. That is hard for us. Acts 5.41, it says, They left the presence of the council rejoicing, what? That they had been counted worthy to be shamed for the name. To be shamed for the name of Jesus Christ. Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ. But sometimes we stop there, right? Admittedly, we do. But if you continue, it says, provided we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. And then we have this famous line in this passage. I count the sufferings of this present time unworthy to be compared to the glory that is revealed. Paul's life, Paul's writing this, right? Paul's life was rough. Left for dead a couple of times, beaten, bruised, shipwrecked. Can you imagine? I honestly think that uh, Paul might have scrapped with some of these prosperity preachers. We said, no, 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 the Lord didn't intend that for your life. There's too much sin. Pray more about it, Paul. Sow a seed of faith, Paul. It's going to be okay. And Paul would have been like, Lord, can I strangle them? <laughs> really? I mean, that's true. I'm sure Pastor Joshua would agree with me. Sometimes you feel like that. You see them people on TV and you want to throw something at your TV. And you're like, mm, get, off my, get off my spirit box. Get out. You don't want that stuff because what you realize what's happening is that they are leading people astray. They throw a little bit of Jesus on it. And a whole lot of bad teaching that is disguising. And people lap it up. Why? Because the desires of our heart are wicked and they get you where your desires are inclined to be. Your health and your wealth. And people love to hear that. But what they don't tell you is that people, after walking with the Lord long enough and by His grace, find out that it's not true. That process becomes heartbreaking. Because they go, wait a minute, God didn't heal me. God didn't fix. I quit my job. God didn't give me a new job. Who, who is this God? And they, and they realize in that moment, I don't know the God of Scripture because the God I've been taught about is one that's made in my own image. And hopefully by God's grace, they find a good church that preaches the gospel and says, hey, I got good news for you. And it's not about your health. It's not about your wealth. It's about your eternity and what Christ Jesus has done for you on the cross. So much more. So much more than that. 
You know, great evangelist Billy Graham said this, the Christian life is not a constant high. I have my moments of deep discouragement. I have to go to God in prayer with tears in my eyes and say, oh God, forgive me or help me. Isn't that true? Christian life is not always a high all the time. It's not always about pursuing that next piece of materialism, whether it's a car or a house or a relationship. Relationships are important, but sometimes people pursue them for status. Do you know that? Say, how how many friends can I get on Facebook? How many of you know? Ten. How many you got on there? Four hundred. It's true, right? We want to go in there and scrub our friend list. Sometimes I ain't talked to this person in a while. It's hard to do it as a pastor because you're like, well, I share gospel stuff and they uh, hopefully see it. Maybe they like it occasionally. I don't know. Maybe they've unfollowed me, and I don't know. I've done that to a few people. Um, but they see my stuff. I don't need to see their nonsense. Um, but the truth is, it's not always a constant high. But these people teach that. They teach that when you come to Jesus, all your problems go away. And if they don't, it's your fault. God is God in the valley, and God is still God on the mountaintop. It makes no difference, folks. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Doesn't matter what your story is, what you're going through. If you are a believer in Christ, if he has redeemed you by his shed blood on the cross, then praise God for that. You are never alone. Wouldn't you want to share that with somebody instead? Point three. The prosperity gospel is about you. The gospel is about God. There's kind of Everybody likes to enter into this space and play this quid pro quo with God, right? Like, you notice when you get these messages, it's like, hey, if you come here, you'll get this. Or you'll get that. And the idea is that the gospel, the word here, is about you. I love Matt Chandler's message. He went to a a charismatic church that does a little bit of prosperity preaching. And... uh, (laughs) And they've done a message on this. You ever heard those messages about David? And you're like, what do you see yourself as the character? And you're always like, well, I'm David, of course. You know, Look at all those cowardly Israelites. I don't know who they are, but I'm a super Christian. I'm David. And you go, okay. And, and people preach it that way. People preach it that way. And Chandler gets up there, and he leans in, and he yells. He goes, you're not David. And I said, praise God he's doing that. <laughs> He'll never get invited back, but praise God he's doing that. And he never did. So, <laughs> but it's, it's refreshing because if you read yourself as the hero of the stories in the Bible, you'll mess it up. Because those heroes, David, is just a shadow of the coming Savior. And he's so much better. You ever read through the scriptures? You read those stories that we always want to insert ourselves into, and you find out that the Bible intentionally mucks them up to show you that they're, they're sinners, they're weak. David murdered, David was an adulterer, and you're like, whew, I don't know about that. You're talking about David, King David's my homeboy or something like that. No. David was awful, and yet the scripture records that he was a man after God's own heart. He is a type of shadow of the coming King Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate king. But we do that. We make everything in scripture about us. What is your destiny? What is your purpose? You're going to have that breakthrough. If you've ever sat in a church, or maybe you still go occasionally, that starts off with entertaining you, and telling you that your breakthrough is coming or some nonsense like that, run. Run. Run for your life and drag some people out the door with you. Just enough for them to be like, you're crazy, what's going on? And tell them, get out. Get out. 
Because the Bible is not about your breakthrough. The Bible is not about your destiny or your dream that you have. The Bible is about the Lord Jesus Christ dying for sinners. It is about the gospel. But yet we so often are inclined to find ourselves being the hero of our story. Some of you guys will roll up in the gym and be like, man, I'm feeling like Samson. You know what Samson did? He failed. He failed. Does God ever fail? He does not. He does not. And the thing is, in Scripture, what we realize is that the chief end is that God is glorified. God is supremely concerned with his glory. And he will get that glory with or without you. God will be glorified because of who he is. He is chiefly concerned with his glory, and God is glorified when he draws sinners into himself that say, you know what, I see all this stuff that they're telling me, but I just want the God of Scripture because I'm a wretched, sinful being against a holy God, and you would invite me into that space by the blood of your son Jesus, and that makes your name great. I just get to be a side character in your story. Praise God that you love me enough to even allow me to do that. God will be glorified. It is about God's glory. And there is nothing glorious when a pastor rolls up and says, hey, God got me that Bentley I was trying to get. To what end? You can't bring it with you. You're probably going to trade it in in another year anyways because there's a newer model. It's just like them Learjets and folks are always soliciting money for. You will come in. I'm trying not to get off on a, on a, on a soapbox here, but I will for just a moment. You will have people come into your church. Even now, these teachers will have people come to their church when people are in economic crisis because they've lost their jobs and they're desperate and they need hope and you will tell them even now, hey, I need to raise millions of dollars for a jet and none of you are invited. How wicked that is. How horrible that is. I'm not saying a pastor has to be impoverished. You have to take care of your family and your household. What I am saying is that if a pastor ever steps up and you are hurting and you are in need of hope and they do not give you the gospel, then as the scripture would say, let them be damned because they are wicked. They are so wicked and opposed to the things of God. These folks that teach this stuff, I am convinced that it's not like they're just taking a misstep. They do it with intentionality. They go, these poor people out here, I'm going to tell them what they want to hear. They're going to send me. I'm going to, they're going to sow a seed of faith, and I'm going to get rich off of that because it makes me feel good, and I don't really care about them because a shepherd like that does not shepherd at all. See them goofballs like Jim Baker talking about, trying to scare people into this stuff, saying, hey, I'm going to sell you a tub of nacho cheese dip. That way, if the apocalypse comes, you'll be good. You can eat. And he does it. He really does. I said, that is absurd to me. I don't want to sell you anything because I ain't got nothing. But I know the good news of Jesus Christ. It gets so wrapped up in the world. And come on, we're going to prosper you. Buy some of this cheese dip, y'all. It's good. You're like, I don't know how that man is still on TV. To our great shame, I don't know how. Because somebody should have got on there and said, this man's a liar and a charlatan. This is not the God of Scripture. Sorry. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whatever you do, 
R.C. Sproul says this, we do not segment our lives giving some time to God, some to our business or schooling, while keeping parts to ourselves. The idea is to live all of our lives in the presence of God, under the authority of God, and for the honor and glory of God. That is what the Christian life is all about. Praise God for that. My fourth and final point is this. The prosperity gospel puts us in bondage. The gospel sets us free. If you process that, you go to a church, maybe, you're, um, maybe your marriage is falling apart. And they say, sow a seed of faith. You're not praying enough. You're not giving enough of your time. You're not giving enough of your money to the church. If you just come up and it's holy man, and uh, we'll make sure that, you know, we'll, we'll intercede for you as if the Son of God is not enough. And we'll make sure that you're okay. Can you imagine the kind of mental bondage that puts you in? To think that somehow, by some way, by giving enough money, by serving enough, by, by watching enough or reading enough of these Your Best Life Now nonsense books, that you're going you're gonna to be free? That's bondage. That's putting you back in cuffs. There's no hope. There is no freedom in that. Hear that nonsense talking about, like I mentioned, you know, you say your best life now, and you go, wait a minute. If this is my best life now, something's wrong. Because I was promised something better in Scripture. And if you don't understand that promise, and this is the best life that you have, then maybe it is. But man, you better watch out for that eternity. You ain't going to be happy then. Joel might be right there with you, but you ain't going to be happy then. But that's the thing. It puts you in bondage because you need to do enough to get God's blessing in your life. God is impartial. You cannot perform to get God to bless you. That is not how it works. And yet so many people will show up. There's a, there's a guy named Justin Peters. He's got cerebral palsy, so I've always enjoyed him because it gives me a connection with the condition that my sister had. So when she was four, um, she didn't demonstrate a lot of the challenges of that. I mean, she was, um, she had developmental issues, but I didn't see it fleshed out. And Justin Peters is a remarkably smart uh, teacher and theologian. And he, he walks with supporting crutches because of his inability, because of his condition. And he's been to these faith healing conferences. And you, when they see a person like that in these conferences, you know what they do? They turn them away. They turn them away. This is how this would play out, right? If I'm going to put you in bondage. Let's say you have somebody in here and you get this big old prosperity preacher up there. You got the shiny teeth and nice suit and all that good stuff. And they say, hey, somebody in this room has got a stomach ailment. And we're going to pray for healing right now. You go, that's absurd. How do you know that? Of course, when you have thousands of people in the room, they might just have gas. <laughs> I mean, really. But they make such a big deal. I go, we just pray that you probably come over there and they hit you on the head, knock you over, and you flop around on the stage, and then you feel better. And then you feel better. And you know what happens, though? Their life's not changed. They go home, and the same thing happens. They say, man, you know what I got to do? I got to go get another Jesus shot. So I'm going to go right back to one of these healing rallies and let some man with some snake oil sell me a bill of goods that's nonsense. And keep going, and keep going, and keep going. And I said, wait a minute. Did you give him a Bible? Did you give him the gospel? Did you give me what matters? This is what matters. 
And yet people flock to this by the thousands, by the millions. And the Western church, the United States, is primarily responsible for this great distortion of the true gospel. We have a lot of work to do. You know, Pastor Josh and I were talking, I think it was last week, maybe two weeks now, and I said, man, there's this kind of theme that runs through this entire series. And it is a theme of a different gospel. When he talked about the uh, abortion, if you think that you are supremely autonomous and that it is your right to choose everything that happens over somebody else's, that's another gospel. If you're worried about yourself always getting offended or you're worried about this idea of hell, you've constructed a gospel made in your own image where you reject it. It's another gospel. And then if you are in pursuit of health and wealth and riches and trying to have a status in life, that is another gospel if you think that the God of Scripture is there to give that to you. God is not a genie in a bottle. But if you pursue those things under the teaching of somebody that teaches you that, you've willingly enslaved yourself. Some of these people don't know any better. Others have raised up teachers to tickle their ears. And they love it. And yet these people are wolves in sheep's clothing. They pepper a little Jesus on it and throw a whole lot of nonsense under the surface at you. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery, Galatians 5.1. So if the Son sets you free, you are truly free, John 8.36. All of my flesh in me wants to go to one of these things and punch somebody in the face. That's how angry I get about it. I really do. And all of my heart mourns that these people are devastating lives by lying to their faces and robbing these people of any hope. That is the work of the devil. Man, walk out of here in freedom, knowing that, hey, you should manage your finances well. You should love your spouse well. But in accordance to God's word, and be satisfied, be content in knowing that eternity is yours in Jesus Christ, that there are treasures in heaven for you, that healing may come, it may not. Just like in Daniel, when they're getting ready to be thrown in the fire, and they said, our God can save us. But even if he doesn't, that's the type of perspective we need to have. The answer sometimes might be no, but it makes God no less glorious because of what he's given us in Christ Jesus. We live for him because of that, not for what he gives us now. There's a, um, I had a different note on here, but I think that this one I have on my phone here is a little more appropriate um, for this morning. I want to close with this. This is what I hope the posture of our heart is today as we walk out of here. Don't go cancel your cable. Get rid of your TBN stations. I say burn your books, though. If you got books from these folks, burn them. Let's have a fire at the church. Let's do it. Let's do a good old-fashioned book burning. Let's get rid of this nonsense and be like, we only care about the gospel as revealed in Scripture. I don't need to know how to live in the I am. There's only one I am, and it is the Lord God revealed in Scripture. It's not you, it's not me. The song says this, Father, I can come to you 
and boast of deeds I've done. In my pride, I strive to earn the favor Christ has won. He alone pleads my acceptance, all of my works aside. So I come with empty hands and I cling to Christ. Father, I can go astray and battle needless fears. Voices tell me I'm condemned and that I can't draw near. But your spirit calls me homeward with your words of life. Jesus bore my ever sin, so I cling to Christ. Praise God. Praise God that we have an advocate, that a God is patient and sometimes what is no doubt our own ignorance, that a God that hasn't rained down destruction on a world full of teachers and would-be preachers that are teaching some nonsense to people. Folks, we as the church need to be on a rescue mission. And that is being just so enthused and zealous for sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with people that are trapped in this movement. Because it's everywhere. It's all over the place. Sometimes it's subtle, sometimes it's more overt. Guard your heart from it. Be careful of who you listen to. Understand, filter everything. Be like the Bereans. Search the scriptures. Test everything against the word of God. Because there is only one gospel. There's only one Savior, and that's Jesus Christ. And let us pray, and I invite you down to pray as we continue to worship. Father, thank you for an opportunity to share your word. Shield our hearts. Give us discernment against the wicked teachings that are so muck in our current situation. Free us from the bondage, God, of pursuing you for the things you can give us rather than for you. Thank you, God, that you're patient with us that you lead us, that you shepherd us so well. It's in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.